0: Things podcast. Hey, Phantomaniacs, Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I just. Finished talking to our pal Richard Ewell of the Nerdy Laser podcast about Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I loved it. I have not had an opportunity to talk about it on the show because I didn't think anybody I knew had even seen the movie. Uh, I, I thought it was really cool. But if you want to hear more about that, uh, you can go to Podbean, look up Nerdy Laser, and listen to Rich's show. He's awesome. We love him. So I was I was thrilled to be on that. And I was thrilled to be talking about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which is a very cool movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it, and then uh, go listen to me and Rich uh, dissect it. So anyway, what's happening now? You guys, like two weeks ago, I, I messed my back up. Uh, if, if you don't know the ongoing narrative, about 10 years ago, uh, gosh, 12, 12 years ago probably, I fell off the roof of our house. Uh, It was not the house that the Phantom Zone is located in. It's the house that we were renting prior to getting married and moving into this house. But uh, long story short, I was trying to clean the gutters, and the ladder slipped. I fell off of the roof and was pretty jacked up for a month or so, fortunately. I didn't break anything, uh, but much of me turned uh, a very disturbing dark purplish-black color and uh, i had trouble walking for a while but eventually everything was okay because i was 30 then and my body still recovered from things little did i know years later the repercussions of that fall would come back to haunt me from time to time uh every once in a while i will realize now very rarely do i realize it when it happens uh but the next day I will be like, ugh, I did something to mess my back up yesterday. And I'll have to sit and think uh, did I try to tie my shoe too fast? Did I uh, turn while lifting? What did I do? What did my dumb self do to mess my back up this time? So, uh, what happened this time is my shower needed repairs, it took a long time. I was using the other shower and didn't notice that the bath mat wasn't down stepped out of the shower slipped a little bit and just that little slip my foot probably didn't even move six inches across the bathroom floor but that quick unexpected movement was enough to make the the muscle it's it's in my lower back uh right around my left hip uh there's there is a spot and when i do specific things that 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 spot that that hit the ground probably when i fell hit the ladder and the ground uh that spot gets angry and when it gets angry it clenches up really like clenches its face up and makes a fist and that little muscle just scrunches up and goes ooh you motherfucker you pissed me off and i'm gonna ruin your life for at least two weeks so that's what happens in my back. So right now that little angry muscle uh, is clenching up and giving me some some issues. And it's not – I wouldn't qualify it as pain uh, because I've been in pain. This is just extreme discomfort. And And, like, when I stand up from a sitting position and when I – uh, walk certain ways but i i can get by it's not anything debilitating it's not even really it's it's just it's annoying it's really really annoying uh and, and i just i can't get comfortable so I, it's been like that for like two weeks now and uh here, here's another fun thing and i think i told you guys about this one sometimes what aggravates it is I, I wear a mouth guard when I sleep because I discovered a few years ago I grind my teeth like crazy. I can't imagine what could possibly stress me out enough to have me grind my teeth at night. Uh, who? What could that possibly be, day job? Uh, but anyway... So I started wearing a mouth guard and I grind my teeth to such an extent that I actually will gnaw holes into the mouth guard. And eventually they're deep enough that my teeth will get stuck in the holes, allow, uh, which prevents my jaw from moving freely during the night. And that will cause my back to spasm and for that angry little motherfucker muscle uh, to knot up and give me problems uh sometimes so bad that i cannot get out of bed so now that you guys have heard about my exciting old man back problems and uh i'm sure i will get messages and emails saying you should try ddp yoga or yoga or whatever i know i know that i should uh somebody send me a free subscription to ddp yoga uh and i will get on that right away Uh, Anyway, and uh, yeah, I know he's doing a seven-day free trial right now, and I should really get into it. And I know our pal Bear uh, from the fantastic Bean and Bear uh, is doing DDP Yoga and seeing fantastic results, Uh, but I just I haven't. It's my own damn fault. Uh, All right, so. Nerdy Laser, uh, go check him out. He's on Podbean, uh, which is, of course, where we are hosted each and every week of the Needless Things podcast. And I love talking to Rich, and you'll enjoy that Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom episode after you go see the movie. Go see it; it's so much fun, you guys! Like, don't don't look at the trailer and be like, oh, it's another dinosaur. What are they going to do with the island now? Oh, no, it's awesome. It's really cool. It's fun. Uh, it's 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 fun science fiction. Uh, if you can take off your critical hat uh for for two hours and just have a good time you will the characters are better developed everything's better but like i said you need to listen to me and rich talk about it okay uh let's see this week on the show it is one of the episodes that i get really excited about we are looking at the year 1988 with our pals Chris, Beth, and Sean. It's an awesome episode. You're going to enjoy it. This is the third one of these that we've done. The first one was 1986. Last year we did 1987. This year, 1988. And if you're a math genius, you can probably figure out what we're going to do next year. Uh, I will point out that we we also do a Dragon Con panel. Uh, like this, but I switch up the guests the content is a little bit different, and for me it's challenging because I have to find enough things to talk about for the podcast and for this panel because i won't repeat myself uh as you guys may know by this time. I am not a big fan of doing the same thing over and over again. I just can't do it, uh, so I have to find new topics for our Dragon con panel, and I have and I'm very excited you are going to want to turn up for that one. I don't even know that it's been announced yet, so of course it may or may not happen. Uh, But if it does happen, you're going to want to show up. Trust me. Uh, It's going to be a special one. Okay. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to promote or put over. Uh, Please go to needlessthingspodcast.com, click on the big Amazon box, and just buy some stuff. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it helps support Needless Things. Uh, You can follow me, on twitter as phantom turbo maker i don't know why you would though when you could go to instagram which i i immensely prefer uh also phantom turbo maker and uh, please join the needless things podcast facebook group it's great we have fun uh we don't get negative over there i mean we do like we get realistically negative uh but i i don't i try to curate that group pretty well and maintain a, a, a pretty firm grip on the tone. Uh, and, and I don't tolerate a whole lot of uh, your opinion is stupid, the things you like are stupid. Uh, I, I don't deal with that a whole lot. As a matter of fact, just a few months ago, I had, I had a, a heart-to-heart talk with a couple of folks about doing exactly that kind of thing. They, they played the, uh, the Mr. Belvedere gives a talk music while it was happening. That's how emotionally impactful it was at the time. Uh, So anyway, uh, join all those things. Follow all those things. Please, if you enjoy the show, uh, spread it around. Share it with people. You know how social media works. If if people that aren't me don't share the show, then people that aren't us won't ever see the show. And I want people... Uh, well hear the show i said see the show and i meant like they'll see the link or whatever but uh, i want people that aren't us to hear the show also and i get it you're cool you're a little covetous of your special needless things privilege that you're like one of the few that are in on it but let's let's spread the thing out let's let more people know spread the needless word uh to the people and uh maybe get me a little cheddar right I mean literal cheddar. I'm kind of hungry. I haven't had dinner yet. Uh, So now I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to let you listen to a wonderful batch of people talking about 1988. Time once again to travel back into the past with the Needless Things Irregulars. It's 2018, which means it's time to look back at 1988. I can hardly wait for 10 years from now when we're doing 1998. Uh, but no, no, now it's, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is time now to go back into the 80s, and you, you know this group, but we're going to introduce them anyway. First of all, we have our pal Sean Reed. Welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, how's it going? I'd actually, it's been a while since I've been on the show. Period. I've missed the last, uh, the yeah, last you've been few movie reviews too. You've been ducking out.
0: You've been ducking out of commentaries. Uh, which, granted, I you know I realize a month isn't really enough notice for you to get your <laughs> get your affairs in order. So
1: um, I'm going to blame that on clients. I've had so much side work going on recently. So that's uh, good. I'm just going to go hide.
0: That means I'll but- just. Expect a great Christmas present this year. There
1: you go. Well, something's going to pay for all the damn Disney trips.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also joining us, our pal Beth. How are you doing tonight?
2: Hello, I'm swell. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm great, and I'm excited uh, about I... 1988.
2: It's been a long time since I've been on one as well.
0: Yeah, I guess so. This is. Uh, I, I've I've been doing a lot of interviews. I've been doing a lot of lazy shows uh because i'm uh,
2: moving on up in the world
0: and well, getting lazier i don't, know. I don't <laughs> know about all that uh but but yeah it's it's good to hear everybody back and of course finally our pal from uh i guess not across the country but up the country maybe up north up north yeah our pal from up north chris welcome back
3: thank you for having me always a pleasure
0: uh, th- this is, I love this group, I love doing this episode, I've been very excited about this one, uh, which, which honestly, I've been enjoying the excitement uh, and the anticipation of recording this episode, and that's why I pushed it back twice before we actually recorded it. I just wanted to to really revel in, in that anticipation, <laughs> uh, because once we're done recording, then what do I have to look forward to? 1989? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Night Dude in 1989... <laughs> that one's going to be tough. You want to talk about a good year. Uh, but before we get there, we got to talk about 1988. And I think this time around, if you're ready, Sean, why don't you start?
1: All right. So uh, first thing I'm going to go with, and God damn it, this was hard. Um, just so when I was reviewing all the different music that came out in 1988, I was like, oh, surely there's got to be something I can pick from you. Know, that's going to be pretty easy. Every awesome rap album from my childhood apparently came out in
3: 1988 yes,
1: um, yes it did <laughs> and i was like shit it's all of them i was like every <laughs> single one um but i'm gonna narrow it down uh and um i'm just gonna go with my my top choice is gonna be it takes a nation of millions by public enemy um just because of all those rap albums that's the one that got played continuously for years after that um you know there are plenty of times i went back to straight out of compton plenty of times i went back to um all the stuff by Eric B. and Rakim. Uh, and, but none of those got nearly as much play as Public Enemy. So so uh, there was just something about that album. It felt like that was the first time that rap really felt like punk rock to me and just listening to it. Um, I remember, you know, fast forward many years, when I went away to college, the very first album I pulled on and played loudly in the dorm was uh, It Takes a Nation to Millions. Just everything about Public Enemy it was just – they captured so much uh, – youthful rage and aggression that i probably couldn't relate to as a (laughs) middle-class white kid in suburban georgia but uh but you tried. but yeah all the same i was like no i'm totally feeling this i'm down with that damn the man fuck the police all of that and then i was like yeah whatever i'm gonna go work at kroger now um (laughs) super not hard uh but yes that's that's my big big standout album uh in a sea of I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to a lot of the other albums that came out in 1988, but, um, yeah, that's my big standout music thing. It's just, I mean, how can you go wrong with Chuck D's voice? And then, you know, fast forward to Anthrax and Public Enemy, the crossover, and, you know, it's just, it's absolutely, completely timeless. Still gets uh, regular Spotify play even today. So um, formative years for a young Rad Ranger were Chuck D. And Public Enemy in 1988 in my attic bedroom.
0: I, I think Public Enemy transcends the era maybe a little better than some of the other stuff that came out. Uh, and, you know, and as much as I love, it, it basically, like you guys said, every hip hop album that came out in 1988, but I think that's the one that kind of stayed in the rotation where, you know, Eric B. and Rakeem and some of the other stuff might have been like, yeah, those were really cool for a couple of years. Now I've got new stuff to listen to. Public, Public Enemy never went away. You know what I mean? It, yeah, they, it never left the playlist.
1: They absolutely stuck around. And you look at it, I mean, you look at it even today, even after all the Flavor Flavs, VH1 reality shows, you're like, but that's fine because that's Flavor Flav. He's kind of always been an idiot. Right. That's his thing. And it's less weird to listen to Public Enemy knowing that Flavor Flav was an idiot than it is to listen to Straight Out of Compton and then watch Are We There Yet with Ice Cube <laughs> uh, <laughs> or realize that Dr. Dre sold beats to Apple for billions of dollars. And you're like, it just doesn't seem the same anymore
0: <laughs> Well, but to that. But to be fair, I mean, that was always Dre's goal. Uh, that oh, that to yeah. become the black tycoon like was definitely uh, on his bucket list you know oh absolutely Where, yeah whereas he becoming the becoming the friendly face to white families everywhere maybe not on ice cube's list
1: right right you're like <laughs> what are you doing now uh, getting paid that's what he's doing he's making a lot more money than all of us so i'm not going to fault him for that
0: so when you were you were 12 right in 88, I would have been, uh, turned
1: 13 uh, later that year. That's right, so yeah, that's 12 right. for most of the year.
0: You're very slightly older than me. Um, yeah. So, but uh, what about hip-hop and parents?
1: Oh, my parents didn't care. Um, I had hippie parents that listened to all kinds of shit, and they really didn't care anything about my music. Okay. Which, which almost made the rebellion even worse because it was like, the, like, it didn't matter. As you long were rebelling against
0: I'm, nothing right I was like, ah, why don't
1: you understand the rage that i feel when i play this music and my dad was like fuck you i got the doors and i'm high right now so uh they didn't really bother it was um yeah no most of my music rebellion and stuff uh was not very rebellious my parents bought me the two live crew nasties they want to be album because uh, i was like this is about to be banned by the government and they're like okay we'll pay for it we'll get it for you oh that's great uh, Yeah, yeah, stupid hippie parents. Um, But that was also the year, uh, 1988 was the year that I'd moved for the second time after moving to Georgia the year prior, and so I was starting a new school uh, with Beth, actually, um, and uh, trying to adjust to being in Georgia after living in Pennsylvania for the first 12 years of my life, and so – just having gotten used to the culture shock, and then moving yet again. So uh, there was a lot of time listening to Public Enemy in, the, uh, in my attic bedroom with headphones on, being angry at the universe. You, you <laughs> had <laughs> a
0: lot of rage, but for different reasons.
1: Exactly, exactly. Lots of pent-up, uh, angry 13-year-old moron.
0: Chris and Beth, you guys have any uh, fond Public Enemy memories?
3: Uh, quite a few, because uh, to Sean's point, I'm a huge hip-hop fan. In fact, I know last year when we were talking about albums and stuff like that, I mentioned how just growing up with my older cousins, uh, they were very big into like the hip-hop scene, and that's kind of what got me at the younger age of seven and eight years old in 1988 into music that I probably should not have been listening to. Uh, definitely did not understand the context of much of it, but that's a great album. Um, it, it's funny because the counterpoint to his... Uh, argument or the argument as a whole, as far as what holds up, uh, I know we were talking about being pressed for time earlier, but one of the things that I was going to mention tonight was my personal favorite from 1988 was straight out of Compton, so I might as well just throw that one out there now because I think that that one still holds up as an album i just don 't think nWA holds up as people like we were saying, yeah, with, yeah. you know ice cube becoming an actor and everything, but <clears throat> excuse me that album i mean you know here I am an eight year old preppy, white kid so i'm not even like in the teen years i'm not in the formative years yet i'm really just kind of listening to whatever my cousins are listening to and i just thought straight out of compton was like the coolest thing ever and i remember that uh the cable system that my aunt had at her house was different from the that i had at my house and there was a channel on it called the jukebox channel does that ring a bell to any of you guys
0: yeah. yeah i we didn't have it i don't think but i have heard of it like i've heard it spoken of
3: so it was basically like a trl channel like, years before MTV created TRL, you would pay, like, a $1.99, call up, and request a video to be played. So it was like a music video DJ service, more or less. And I used to record music videos, because this was at the point in my life where I was taping everything. And I had, like, my, like, rap compilation tape from the Jukebox channel. And I had Straight out of Compton's video on it, and Express Yourself. And I was just all in on NWA. Whereas Public Enemy... I liked them at the point, you know, my cousins were into them, I liked the music and stuff, but I actually got into them a little bit later on around the time of the Anthrax crossover and then kind of backtracked a little bit. So it's actually funny how that all tied together with what Sean was saying to his point.
0: That was my experience as well. So straight out of Compton was more your speed at the time. I I was just agreeing that Public Enemy, I didn't get into them until they teamed up with Anthrax, and then I kind of went back and checked everything out.
3: Oh, yeah. Once that happened, I was all in on them. I mean, I'm a hip-hop head to a T. Public Enemy has always been one of my favorites, but NWA was always just that much more. I don't want to say influential, because what do I know about the ghetto? Right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm an Italian preppy white kid from the Northeast. I know nothing about Compton or anything like that. But just the music, I don't know, like the vibe they gave off, which I understand was something that I could not relate to. It just, it stuck with me. And it's something to this day. You know, even when the movie came out, you know, I thought that that was a fantastic movie, even though they played to Dr. Dre and Ice Cube because, of course, they were producing it, and sure, you know, they sure. kind of rewrote the story, rewrote yeah. history a little bit. But I, I think that everything N.W.A. still holds up pretty well, despite the way they branched off in later years.
0: You know, it's funny. I never really got into N.W.A. because I was, I was always the like tribe called Quest, they lost soul. Like I was that guy, and I never yep. until until Wu Tang. I never got into the gangster rap stuff, and I don't—I don't even know that I—I I group Wu Tang in with that because they—they they definitely transcended it. But I—I mm-hmm. uh, I just never got into that side of it really at all. And and I you know I watched the documentary, and I can I can enjoy the known NWA songs, but they just weren't in my playlist really.
3: And it's funny that you mentioned that too, because Tribe is actually my personal favorite rap act of all time. One of my favorite bands in general, have you seen, of all time.
0: Have you seen the Vans? I have two different pairs
3: of them. Ah, nice. I actually Beautiful. got them. I actually got them in New Orleans during WrestleMania week. Oh, you know what? I there, think I, I think you put a picture up of them, didn't you? I did because I had to like reformat my suitcase just to bring them home. <laughs> um, I, I like I get like I, my friend brought me a bottle of scotch down there and I couldn't fit it so I gave it to like one of the other people I'm like here take this bottle of scotch I can't I can't fit this I gotta bring it
0: home um <laughs> I need my shoes but
3: yeah there was uh there was a van store down near bourbon street and we were walking down there during the day before one of the shows And I was like oh those tribe called quest sneakers are out today and I went in and the guy's like I only have two pairs left and these are the sizes I have and they happen to have my size in both of them so I got the uh low tops which have at Fife Dog's lyrics, like graffiti on yeah, them, yeah. and then I got the uh, I got the yellow colored high tops with the Benita Applebaum design. Yeah. So yeah, I I have two pairs of Tribe Called Quest fans. I am all in on those.
0: Very nice, uh, Beth. Do you have any any uh, NWA or Public Enemy thoughts?
2: You know, n- not at that time. Looking over the music of 1988, there's a lot of stuff that I was listening to. Three and four years later, like the rap, um, most of the rap albums. I mean, in 1988, I was still listening to Run DMC and Beastie Boys. Yeah. But like, I wasn't listening to Jane's Addiction and the Sugar Cubes and, and all of the really hardcore rap albums until several years later. So I was basically unaware of all of that stuff at the time. And I could try and make myself sound cooler, like I was into that at the time. But no, no, this isn't the place for that. I don't want to lie.
0: <laughs> no, that's I, and I'm in the same boat. Like I, I was definitely watching Public Enemy videos and aware of Public Enemy. But in 1988, I, I you know, like I said, it wasn't until they teamed up with Anthrax, and uh, yeah, same thing. Run DMC and the BC Boys were still at that time. Well, and Weird Al, <laughs> like yeah, the, those were my groups at that point. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so you know my exposure
1: to rap was weird out that's <laughs> no no really. i'm just saying musically
0: musically that's what uh, i yeah, was listening yeah. to
1: well and you're not wrong i mean that's what we we're all listening to we'd like we didn't even if we were listening to other things we were still like but if i could put on that new weird owl record then that's gonna be on
0: and, and, I, and
2: i'll admit i was still super into u2 in 1988 and i'm ashamed to say that now but i was
0: no no it's okay we <laughs> we have no uh no no guilty secrets about our past here. We, we've we all liked dumb things in our time, I'm sure. Matter of fact, maybe, maybe that would be a good future episode. Dumb shit that we're ashamed we liked. <laughs> oh, I'm not ashamed of anything, but I've got plenty of dumb shit
3: we talk about. Yeah,
2: I'm, not, I'm not necessarily ashamed. I, I wouldn't say I ever have guilty pleasures. I feel no guilt about my pleasures.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, have you listen to the past episodes of this. I like all kinds of dumb shit. I'm very candid about <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to go ahead and uh jump into the third slot here because I've been terrified somebody else would get to it first and I'm glad we've gone in a completely different direction. So, I'm going to grab the steering wheel. I'm going to veer way to the left of where you guys are and say that uh in 1988 uh Back in the 80s, my mom took me to see all the movies. But when we would visit my grandparents in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, my papa would take me to see movies. And in 1988, we went and saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that movie remains, to me, one of the most impressive cinematic accomplishments of all time. Uh, The fact that... You know, it's not just about the fact that it's live action with animation, which to 12-year-old me who had been obsessed with cartoons and was becoming more obsessed with the idea of human acting and like what went into making movies and stuff, and to take these cartoons and these humans and to have them interact in such a convincing way that still holds up 30 years later uh, was amazing in and of itself but then beyond that to have licensed the use of all of the different characters that they did to see Daffy duck and Donald duck sharing a stage in that insane piano battle. And then the big Epic moment for me of the movie to see Mickey mouse and bugs bunny on a screen together, fucking with Bob Hoskins was just incredible. It blew my mind. And you know, in retrospect, that scene, that's thats all we see of Bugs and Mickey together until the very end of the movie. Uh, and, and it's kind of like, oh, I'd like to see more, but you can't because there's no way. What do they do to live up to the idea of these two iconic cartoon characters, two of the most famous fictional characters in the history of pop culture sharing a screen? What do you do with them? Like, there's nothing. that That's all you can do. You have them fuck with Bob Hoskins and and then the movie has to keep going it can't grind to a halt for this important pop culture moment but we went and saw this movie it was everything i imagined and more and at 12 years old all the dirty innuendo went right over my head uh that wouldn't you know i wouldn't start picking up on some of that stuff until later uh we get original characters like baby herman and the weasels and then of course nobody can forget the absolutely insane reveal. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is Judge Doom. At the end of the movie, is this terrifying. You know, we never see the full Judge Doom character, but we see it come out from under the Christopher Lloyd mask. Just, there's so much genius in this movie. Uh, I don't know that I'd ever want a sequel. I certainly wouldn't ever want any kind of remake. Uh, I think you could do something in the spirit of it but I, man, this movie is just, it, it's one of the biggest things ever. And you know, when it gets brought up, people love it, but I don't know that it gets as much credit as it deserves. Uh, what, what about you guys? Do you guys, did you guys see it in the theater? Do you revere this movie? Like I do?
1: Oh yeah, I definitely saw this in the theater. This is one that, um, uh, as I've mentioned and alluded to, when we first moved to Georgia, it was not a pleasant situation for young Sean. And, uh, Unfortunately, in Georgia, we didn't have any relatives for my parents to send me off to. So it was, hey, let's go to the movies, and maybe you'll sit still and not be a pain in the ass for two hours. And uh, Much, my dad much me, like we try to get out of you here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some things never change <laughs> 30 years later. And it doesn't work
2: for us either.
1: No, no, ever. Um, failed miserably back then, fails miserably now. Um, but yeah, so my dad and I, uh, Gwinnett Place Mall, actually. We went to the one of the movie theaters out there at Gwinnett Place Mall and uh and saw who framed roger rabbit and actually i think i did sit still for two hours because that movie was fucking amazing and my mind was just so blown and much like you dave
0: seeing you were so overstimulated you couldn't move
1: (sighs) yeah it, it canceled out my adhd it was like oh god shit there's a lot of sugar to keep up with this um and then judge doom was just flat out fucking scary like and I was not messing with horror movies as a kid because I was really easily scared. And then Christopher uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd's Judge Doom f- totally fucked with me. That was nightmares.
0: Well, the for- scene the scene with the dip. Yes, he, he dip the the cartoon. He picks up that adorable little cartoon shoe, and and murders it with yes. the dip. Just flat out
1: kills it, and it's squealing, and it sounds like a puppy. And you're just like. Look, between the feelings that Jessica Rabbit did in certain parts of the early pubescent Sean and then the absolute just fear of uh, Judge Doom that uh, I was on an emotional roller coaster for that entire film. And I was like, I both feel like a kid and not a kid. And this is strange.
0: <laughs> uh, Beth and Chris, what about you guys?
2: I enjoyed it. I remember seeing it in a the theater. I don't think I revere it quite the same way you guys do. I haven't watched it in probably 15 years, but I, I did like it, and it is a good movie. I
0: just... Uh. Well, now, were you like a cartoon fiend growing up? Oh, like, yeah, totally. Oh, really? Yeah. It's very interesting, and it still didn't... Uh, well, anyway. I,
2: was, I was not a huge Warner Brothers or Disney fan ever. I mean, I like Disney movies, but I wasn't a Mickey Mouse person, oh, and well, I wasn't yeah, a that's, person. I mean, that's that's
0: it. mostly what I meant. Yeah, yeah. So I
2: enjoyed it, and it looked great, and it was really cool. But and of course, Christopher Lloyd was terrifying. But it, it didn't have that that same impact on me, I guess, as it had on you.
0: Well, and I think if you're not specifically a fan of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies and uh the you know those two main the disney and warner brothers stuff then you know i don't it it couldn't be quite as magical it could still be cool but yeah it, it would definitely you'd have to have that background for it to really have the impact i think what about you chris
3: i actually did see it in the theater um you know uh going back to our first conversation a couple of uh, years younger than you guys. So I definitely didn't get the innuendo or anything. But to the cartoon point, that was the selling point for me. It's like, whoa, like all my favorite characters all in one spot. Like what's going on? And there's new characters. Like that was the big draw for me. It was like, what is this magical world that I'm seeing right here? And I had already seen things like horror movies and and R-rated movies and stuff at that point. But Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom was probably one of the freakier characters of my childhood. Especially, like, that final scene where he starts uh, morphing, or or whatever type of terminology you want to use. Yeah, yeah. Definitely definitely a a creepy standout among the world of other uh, horror characters and whatever that I had already previously seen. But, yeah, like, you know, to your point of seeing uh, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Donald Duck all together, that was really what got me worked up about seeing the movie. It was like, how is this happening? Why are there no other cartoons like this? Like, This is a one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-million thing. This is awesome. And that was what I really enjoyed about it. I actually have the movie on DVD. I haven't watched it in a couple of years either. Um, I think that's one that, even though Zach has attached himself to things that are way beyond his three-year-old scope, I think <laughs> we'll kind of wait a little while on that one. I'll just let him stick to the threes Company reruns that he likes watching nowadays. Uh, <laughs> because I think that Judge Doom might be a little too freaky for him. Um, but, you know, that's one of those movies that I definitely want to enjoy with him when he gets a little older.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and Judge Doom, I mean, I think, I think he would make any list. Anybody that was between, like, 8 and 12 uh, when they first saw that movie, Judge Doom is probably on their, like, top 10 creepiest shit I saw in that age, that time frame. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a freaky character. Uh, all right. Beth, what is your first delight of 1988?
2: This was really tough for me. And looking over the list of all of pop culture, it seems like 87 was the year for music and 88 was the year for movies. So I narrowed down my list of movies to three or four. And I'm going to start, and I may take somebody else's, but I'm going to start with Coming to America.
0: Oh, nice. Classic
1: movie. I I almost chose that one. That is, yeah.
2: I don't know how more iconic a movie you could get. Uh, There was a point in my life where I had to stop watching it because I knew all the words too well. And I couldn't watch it anymore because I could do the whole thing by heart. And it still holds up. I watched it with my dad a couple months ago. And it's still funny. It's even funnier, actually, if you've taken a few years off from watching it. Now and Eddie Murphy playing the bajillion parts that he plays is great. This was back when Eddie Murphy was still really funny, before he started making terrible movies. Arsenio Hall was actually once funny. If you've never seen it, please watch it, and you'll know that he was once funny.
0: Arsenio Hall was funny for a long time, though. I mean, I, I loved, and this, this again, could be a whole episode, but his talk show changed everything.
1: Eh. Yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of what he did was really forward-thinking and changed a lot and gave a lot of uh, presence to, you know, talking about hip-hop and breaking through in that year. Like, there were a lot of hip-hop artists that there was no way they were going to get picked up for Letterman's show yet. You know, right. but regular shows, they weren't they weren't ready for that. So, yeah, he did a lot of breaking through. That was the show that I – the Arsenio show was the one that I watched the most. Like We'll, if I was we'll sitting do an, in epi- my room we'll do an, an episode asleep. on that, too. Yeah. I, I think he <laughs> was, he was
2: highly – Highly influential to all of the late night talk shows we watch now, but at the time it just it was not my thing.
0: What uh, going into coming to America? What was your awareness? Now, did you see it in '88, or was it like a? Oh, okay, okay. So, my
2: parents were huge Eddie Murphy fans. They took us to see Raw and Delirious. Oh my gosh! Extremely inappropriate for the time, (laughs) right? (laughs) And. There were even parts of coming to America where I was like, I don't I don't understand that joke, but okay. <laughs> I mean I am older than everyone else here, so I got most of the jokes and the references, but there were still some where I was like, Should I go watching this?
0: Now had you seen trading places at that point to Oh of course. To get so the, the joke with uh, the rich guys or the, the no longer rich guys I should say. Uh Randolph for you. yes, yes.
2: Oh yeah, no, I, I got all of that, um, all all of his little nods and things that he does, I, I got, I believe most of them at the time.
0: Well, and another thing to, to point out is that, you know, Eddie Murphy played several different characters in the movie, but this was before that was his thing. Like, it, it was, other than Saturday Night Live, obviously, but... Doing that in a movie at the time was something that was very different and, and still somewhat innovative.
2: Well, it was before Martin Lawrence and Tyler Perry and all of that happened. So he was the first one to do that. And he was really successful because when I first saw it, I did not realize he was the old Jewish man in the barbershop. shop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Aha! Aha! <laughs> Awesome. Uh, a- anything else to say about uh, Coming to America? Anybody?
1: Uh, that was the – and I have no idea because it was rated R, but somehow this was the first movie I saw in theaters unsupervised.
0: Oh, really? Interesting. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah I, uh, I, somehow I saw it with um, – I think with my neighbor, and we, we got into – I think his parents bought us tickets – it's a Coming to America, wow. and we're just two, like, 12-year-olds watching Coming to America in the theater and laughing at everything that was a dick joke because we didn't get a lot of the other stuff.
0: That's amazing. So he's in the bathtub with uh, his, his ladies cleansing him, and 12-year-old Sean is just like, someday – I will one of
1: these this. days one of these days <laughs> the Royal Tu
0: big. <laughs> 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 yeah i I didn't see coming to America probably until a few years after it came out, uh, but at one point, I've mentioned before on the show uh, this this bizarre phenomenon of waiter on wheels, where after high school. Uh, me and all my friends hung out at this food delivery place that, that predates, obviously predates Uber Eats or anything like that. Uh, it was waiter on wheels and it was, it was run out of a condo and we, they didn't have cable because the guy that ran it had no money whatsoever because he had teenagers delivering food to people, uh, but we ha- all we had to watch was. This sounds like a front for something. It does. It sounds like a front for this guy, like diddling minors. But that was I
2: was going to not... say, it sounds like the start to a really bad
0: story. Yeah, but it's it's not. It's not at all. It was a totally safe place. Um, Did he own a bicycle shop that Gary Coleman went to? at one point? <laughs> <laughs> There was the one time that he had us take a bath while he took pictures. It was really weird. Other than that, though, no. It was it it was a bizarrely safe uh, place where we hung out and, uh, but all we had to watch was like eight VHS tapes full of Simpsons episodes. Uh, whatever we rented from the blockbuster across the street and then coming to America and like two other movies, I think maybe they live and, and something else. I don't remember what the other one was, but coming to America is funny, Beth, when you were talking about like having to, to take a break from it for a while, I had to do the same thing because I probably saw that movie 30 times in a year. Um, and I, I had to take a few years off. But, I, I mean, we, we would quote it constantly. It was always, uh, we would always be able to find some kind of reference to something that was going on uh, and find a quote from that movie. It's, it's just, it's an incredible movie. And, again, I think they're remaking it now. Oh, Oh, um, no.
1: I, I think I, there's a sequel coming up with like uh I read something
0: sequel'd be o- a sequel I'd be okay with if you get Arsenio and Eddie Murphy back um and do something with them, I'm fine with that uh but I don't want a remake with like Kevin Hart and the guy from Keenan and Kel or whatever <laughs> it is they would do The rock is the, Prince of Keen uh, well I don't I'll watch anything with the rock in it I'm not <laughs> oh, gonna yeah. lie. yeah let's be honest. <laughs> All right, so any any, uh, any final thoughts on Coming to America?
3: I actually still have the original VHS tape in my collection.
0: Nice. Because wow. this, is,
3: this is going back to when uh, yeah, I had mentioned, again, uh, going back to my cousins, they would tape everything or, or buy movies as soon as they came out or whatever. So Coming to America was one of their favorite things. Uh, like you guys had mentioned earlier, uh, Eddie Murphy, Raw, Delirious, Trading Places. Those were all things I had already seen at that point because oh, my cousins wow. were like eddie murphy obsessed i thought trading places was hysterical and coming to america i remember my cousin buying it like as soon as he was able to <coughs> excuse me which was rare because he would normally just tape the movies off tv but he was so obsessed with it and even when i uh scaled down my vhs collection when i went from about 500 to 50 i was like "Well, what do i want to keep on vhs and even though i've got it on dvd i'm like you know like this is kind of like the sentimental comedy favorite yeah, yeah like yeah. i really don't want to get rid of it because we laughed we quoted it i'll never forget like growing up anytime somebody said hey fuck you the response would just be yes fuck you too <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely a part of my lingo is definitely a part of my growing up um, you know i wouldn't call it my favorite comedy of all time but easily top five top ten it's right up there
0: nice uh well let's uh let's just keep you going and move on to your second favorite thing from 1988.
3: All right, second favorite thing. Are we doing the favorite or are
0: we doing the hated? Uh, we're we're going to go ahead and do it. We're, we're doing well. So we're going to go ahead okay. and see if we can get three favorites and one not-so-favorite in there. So go ahead for another favorite.
3: All right, so following the pattern of things that are sentimental to me, 1988 brought back to television something that is very near and dear to my heart for many, many reasons, and that was NBC reviving my favorite character of all time, bringing Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno back for The Incredible Hulk oh. return.
0: Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Okay, okay.
3: So the reason I say it's sentimental is because you guys have heard me talk. I remember things that I probably shouldn't have seen and done things that I probably shouldn't have did. But one of my first memories, and this goes back when I was about two, three years old, is getting the original Mego Hulk doll as a present from my grandparents, the one with the torn white shirt and everything, the, the 12-inch Mego Hulk, Dude, a toy that like, I still have to that's this like day. There's
0: like a running theme on this show, I kid you not. There are no less than 3 <laughs> guests that that Mego Hulk has some kind of like massive sentimental meaning to them.
3: That is what kickstarted my entire Hulk fandom to this day and what happened, how it transcended, I, I'm really not sure of how we got to this point, but what happened as I was growing up in the early 80s was we had a house, so, you know, Christie Patrol, big Italian family, you know, the stereotype is real, and we had a, a three-family house that we all lived in. So normally, like a three-family house, you figure kids are renting it out, you know, floor by floor or whatever. It was our house. Our family owned it. It was all our family. So that's why I was always with my cousins all the time. My aunt and uncle were on the first floor. My grandparents were on the third floor. My other uncle was on the second floor. Me and my mom and dad were on the third floor until my dad got a job with another fire department, a couple cities over. So we moved about 10 minutes away. Excuse me. So not far away, still close to the family, still saw them all the time.
0: Every weekend. That's beautiful. Uh, I. I've got to stop you because as a kid, like I would have thought that was terrible, but 42 year old me wishes I had had that. Like that sounds so beautiful and so awesome.
3: It was, it was great. It was one of my fondest, fondest memories just growing up that way. I mean, this is a family that to this day, my aunt cooks Sunday dinner for everybody just to make sure they take a day out of their lives to all get together at her house still.
0: Oh, that's awesome! man. So
3: very, very tight knit, very Italian, very you know strong bond within the family. And my grandparents, you know, other than my parents, my grandparents were the closest relatives to me. I mean, I loved my grandmother like no other. And what they would do every Saturday was they would come and pick me up at home. We would go to Child World, if not Toys R Us. I would get to run amok and choose whatever I wanted. You know, GI Joe's, He-Man, Wrestlers, you know, whatever I wanted. They'd get me a couple of things. <coughs> this was every Saturday. Every Saturday was like Christmas um and then my family owns bakeries so my grandmother would work in the bakery and she would usually have to get to work between like three and three thirty and she didn't drive so my papa would always have to drive her so the rule of thumb was we'll go to the store we got to get back to the house for your grandmother to change up we're going to bring her to work but we had to make sure that after we dropped her off we got right home because at four o'clock on the fox affiliate out of boston was the reruns of the incredible hulk tv show yes and so every saturday My papa and I just sat in their part of the house, and we turned the world off. Nobody could bother us. We weren't going down for dinner. We weren't doing anything until the Hulk ended. And that's how I first was exposed to the Hulk TV show, just watching every episode with my papa. And now, so this is 84, 85 or so. I'm like four or five years old. My papa passed away in 1986. So he was like the first, not only the first death in the family that i dealt with but it was literally one of the closest people to me so i'm not young enough to understand it but it still rattled me to an extent and i always associated the hulk with my papa because that was what my grandparents did it was like you know all hulk stuff and to up until the point where she passed away which was in 2013 if my grandmother saw like a hulk coloring book on the magazine rack at the supermarket i'd be like 25 years old i bought you something And it's a Hulk. Like, I had the room in my house that is now Zach's room. It used to be called the Hulk room because it was just shelves of Incredible Hulk memorabilia. Figures, books, VHS tapes. I have pretty much all of my Hulk stuff still. Didn't really get rid of anything. Some of the supplemental characters, but especially anything that she bought or that they bought, (coughs) I would never get rid of. So here it is, 1988. You know, my papa, unfortunately, is no longer around. But all the memories came flooding back to this, you know, 8-year-old kid because now, you know, this is before the days of DVDs and, you know, seasons on VHS tapes or even like the Columbia House releasing 2 to 3 episodes at a time, the Hulk TV show at the time wasn't really being rerun anywhere. So the fact that it was coming back and it was coming back new and then for me who was already heavily invested into comics at this point, seeing another character meaning the first crossover being Thor in yes. this movie. Yes, It was like, holy crap, like, what is this magic I'm witnessing? And, you know, if you watch it when you're older, you're kind of like, okay, well, Don Blake and Thor are two separate entities. Like, what, you know, he's possessed by the hammer. Okay, like, they're kind of tweaking with the story. But, I mean, it's a TV movie. You're not going to get an Avengers-level budget, you know, especially back then. But it was just a fantastic return to form. And I remember as a kid, the one, like, I love the Hulk, but for some reason, the point of the transformation where Bill Bixby has the contacts in his eyes always kind of freaked me out. And at this point, like, I didn't even care. Like, I, here I am. <coughs> excuse me. Apologize for the cough. Um, here I am, eight years old. I don't care about the contacts. I don't care about anything that might be slightly scary. I just want to see the Hulk back on my TV screen. And I think it was a fun movie. It was cool to get another Marvel character. I think the fights for what they are within the Hulk lore, because they weren't ever really violent fights, just kind of tossing guys around. Yeah, yeah. It was just a really, you know, to steal wrestling terminology, it was kind of like a big mark out moment for me for that movie to come back. And I just I love that movie, you know, like I don't love many other things because of the sentimental attachment to the Incredible Hulk as a whole. Uh, definitely one of my favorite things of 1988 and in general.
0: That man, that's fantastic. And I, I remember as well the, the hype surrounding that because at the time, again, this is 30 years ago, we didn't get reboots. We didn't really get like a few years after something had been done because I what the original show ended was it in even, 82. Yeah, 82. Six so earlier. six years like if something's been dead for six years, it's pretty much done. And I remember being so excited for that. It was uh, was it a Sunday evening special? Yeah, it was one of the NBC movie of the week. And in fact, I remember because, of course,
3: I had to tape it. You know, because I tape everything, but especially this. But I remember they used to have those little like advertisements right before it started, and they're like, "Now on NBC!" Like, like the moment you've been waiting for. It was like that little thirty second clip, and just like that thirty second clip of like them showing like Bill Bixby starting to transform and stuff. It was just like, "Ah, it's coming. It's real. It's really happening. It's not a joke. And just that excitement carried with me. I mean, the Hulk transformation sequence is something that carries excitement with it no matter what the episode. But there was just something about seeing it again for the first time, seeing it new, seeing it fresh. And then again, having like another hero to play off of. You know, it was the first time the Hulk battled Thor until we got to the Avengers, what, uh, almost 20 years later? So.
0: Well, and and that's the thing is is I remember well one, two two specific things. One, uh, having sort of a vague sense of continuity, I remember thinking, "Man, he's still the Hulk." Like mm-hmm. the idea that David Banner was still dealing with this six years after the show had ended narratively. Uh, he was, is cursed. was big, right? Right. Yep. And also, I remember watching it and being infuriated by the commercials because i was like this is a movie i'm watching a movie why are there commercials in this damn thing because i <laughs> like you i recorded it on vhs and you know i i would be so irritated when i would go back and watch it later and have to fast forward through the damn commercials uh and you know of course now it's available in uh i think a couple of different formats uh a- as more of a feature length uninterrupted thing but at the time uh commercials were just the bane of my existence i i hated them and uh I-, I remember being very frustrated by the commercials in that thing i
3: used to do that thing where you would hit the pause button while it's recording but then you still have to wait there for the commercials to end to hit the pause button again so it's kind of like a catch twenty-two.
0: Yeah, my my attention span was not good enough for me to do for me to pause during the commercials. Usually, because uh, I would I would be too paranoid that I would forget to unpause when it came back. So I would yep. just I'd just leave it recording. Uh, Sean and Beth, what about you guys? Do you guys, do you remember Return of the Incredible Hulk? Uh, I, re- I have- Go ahead, Beth. Oh, I was going to say I I have no memory
2: of this. I watched. <laughs> I watched The Incredible Hulk when I was a kid, and anything else they did after that, I I have no idea. I just looked it up; never heard of it, didn't know what happened. Wow, really? Just just found out right now.
3: So none of the TV movies, not the one with Daredevil or the one where he fell out of the plane. Really? Wow. Nothing. Wow. Well, you need. I wasn't
2: really into superheroes back then. I mean, I was reading X Men comics, but that was about it. But yeah, I had no clue. You, you need to get educated <laughs> uh,
0: What about you, Sean?
1: Uh, this is one of those weird times where I'm not the one that hasn't heard of it. Uh, <laughs>
0: right, right. <laughs> this is,
1: this is, we went into bizarro land somehow. Um, I don't remember watching this as a kid. Uh, although I'm certain that I had to have because I watched everything that had the Hulk in it. I was obsessed with the Hulk and Lou Ferrigno. Um, as particularly after he came on Mr. Rogers and I was like, he's the coolest guy ever. Um, so I'm certain I had to watch it as a kid. But uh, it was one of those things that when I saw it later, I was like, "Oh shit, this is a thing that exists, and I totally need to watch this." And so now it it, uh, it it's something I remember more from having watched it later. But I, I can almost guarantee that I just I, that I was sitting like like you guys on the couch, glued to the television, excited for what was about to happen when it when it initially aired.
0: Yeah, it was it was huge. I mean, it, this was a big deal. I love it. I love it. I'm going to take the next one, and I'm going to cheat a little bit because this is not something that I found in 1988 when it was released. Uh, I didn't get it until a year later, uh, and that's because a year later I was buying every single Batman thing I could possibly get my hands on, and one of those things was Batman the Killing Joke, uh, by Alan Moore, Brian Boland. And this this is the original version with uh, John Higgins on the color, not the re-release that they did recently uh, with Brian Boland uh, providing the color that he originally thought it should be. Uh, this thing was, and, and I, I hate to say this, my memory's a little foggy, I can't remember which comic exactly was the one where I was like, oh my gosh, there are titties in comic books, what? But this was definitely one of the first ones with graphic violence and, and horrid, uh, disturbing sexual situations and just uh, this changed who I was as a person because this Batman character that I'd known since I was an infant that I had watched Adam West's television show and I'd had the Mego action figures and you know I had known Batman for so long as this very specific type of character from Super Friends and from teaming up with Scooby-Doo and now I'm reading this this very adult comic that's one of the most graphic things I'd ever seen with these lurid pictures and For me, I'm happy to have the remastered version that has the the different color style in it. Uh, Have have you guys seen this? Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I think that's the copy that I have is the updated one.
0: The well, this I'm holding in my hands right now my original copy of the Killing Joke that I got in 1989 um, with the John Higgins color. And it's bright and it's very eighties and it's very outlandish and, and honestly to me the story is all the more disturbing for these these bright colors uh and these these jarring differences in, in palette that are present throughout the thing. Uh but then they a few years ago they re- they they did sort of a director's cut type of thing with the colors that Brian Boland originally envisioned. Uh but this one Man, I mean, this is, this is one of the things, and it's not looked at as fondly now. Obviously, our political climate at the time, there's some ideas and some concepts in here that, that people don't care for very much. Uh, but this is a huge comic. It's It's a definitive part of my personal Batman... Storyline, timeline, whatever you want to call it, my idea of what Batman is and my idea of what comics can be. Uh, we see the Joker in a way that, you know, Cesar Romero never was. You never saw him do this. And I think it's very important. Uh, I don't like the idea that there are people that want this scrubbed from history because I think it's important to see villains doing villainous things. I, I don't think it's okay the idea that we sanitize our villains because we might offend people's sensibilities. We need to see, you know, as a 13-year-old when I read this, uh, you know, this horrified me. And it, it clued me into the fact that the Joker, you know, wasn't necessarily this cutesy laughing buffoon guy that he could be evil and that evil things like this, like... Nothing that happens in this comic is outside the realm of reality. Uh, And just like I'm not crazy about the idea of a cartoon about war where nobody ever dies, uh, I'm not crazy about the idea of comic books where there are evil acts that are off-limits because they might upset someone. Uh, I think our fiction needs to be able to tell stories it needs to be able to be these morality plays it needs to be able to dig deep into the psyche of the characters involved and this book does all of that and is one of the first ones if not the first one that really gave me a glimpse at just how impactful and informative comic books can be Uh, so that's a killing joke it's just it's amazing and i'm not Uh, there, there's nothing like cool or like, uh, aspirational about anything that the Joker does in this book. It's, it's horror. It's horrible. And and I think it's important to keep that element of storytelling around. Uh, I assume you guys have all read it.
2: Yes, I've actually read this one. Yay. (laughs) And I never read DC. (laughs) Oh, I know, but I think I probably read it. When I was living with you, and it was probably your copy, so that's <laughs> that's when I read it. Right, but I I liked it enough that I I even watched the the animated one they did a couple of years ago. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, uh, that unfortunately is it, uh, well. The, well, here's that the that thing. Was good. Here's the thing, though. The portion of it that adapted the actual comic was very good. It's all the crap that they added. That was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. They... Oh, and
2: it also had the, the old actors. So Mark Hamill is the Joker is that's my Joker.
0: It was a little upsetting though, hearing Hamill and Conroy in this.
2: Out in garbage.
0: Yeah well, yeah. well, you know, they're cause Batman, the animated series is pretty tame and, and this takes it up quite a few notches. And it was, <laughs> it was almost like it wasn't, it wasn't the same level of disturbing as batman triple x but it was definitely like in that neighborhood cuz i don't know if if you've seen batman triple x it is a very faithful uh recreation of the original adam west batman show but it's a porno and it's honestly yeah. a little upsetting I've seen that. <laughs> it's a little upsetting to watch it's too, it's too good and and that was like watching the killing joke, seeing these people voicing this different iteration of these characters was almost like, no, my brain, no, I don't need that. Uh, what about you, Sean? You, you've, you've read the comic and seen the thing. Oh yeah.
1: I've read the comic and seen the thing. Um, and you know, it's much like you said, I, I don't think it's something that, that should be scrubbed. I don't agree with that at all. It's, um, it It's like a lot of Alan Moore work. It's something that suffers for the people that came after Moore and copied him oftentimes poorly yeah um and so we get you know there's so many more bad Alan Moore copies that have now almost tainted how people see alan moore because like well if that's the guy that inspired this shit then he must really be awful and it doesn't necessarily get the fair shake you know when he was doing a lot of this stuff uh, and, and a lot of the more problematic stuff it wasn't common then it was still kind of like oh shit this is actually shocking and not just shocking for shocking sake because this is how we write bad guys um it, it hadn't become cliche at the time so uh so, yeah, so I'm totally on board with you know this is something that needs to stay kind of the way it is, and um, I would love to get my hands on the um, on the John Higgins colors and having it have that weird Watchmen feel to it. But uh, I do appreciate the, the color change that they did. I don't mind. But, it's good. Uh,
0: it's good. Yeah. But yeah, they
1: did a good job.
0: But man, for the for me, the full impact of the story comes from that that particular palette that's in the original.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because it, it, it makes everything even more – it throws everything off, right? Like yeah, you expect yeah, to see things as a certain color, and, and so it, it makes the entire experience off-putting from the get-go. Well, which and is it, exactly. sets,
0: it sets it apart from other comic books, which is very important, because when you look at the recolored edition, it just looks like everything else. But this right. one – is a different thing it's it's it doesn't feel like oh this is just a batman story that's from the comics it feels like a different thing
1: yeah um, you're not gonna pick it up and think it's just like an else Worlds or anything like that you really do feel like this is a the thing that lives. and it part of me wishes that they would have just kept it off in its own little world and never tried to bring that into any of uh modern continuity for batman at all because i think it does do a really
3: good job standing on its own
0: uh what about you chris
3: Oh, uh, it's a fantastic book. It's not something that I read when I was eight or in 1988. Uh, I was just dealing more with the regular mainstream comics and not so much with the one shots and the graphic novels at that point. Sure, but reading it later on, I think I had a better appreciation for it. Reading it later on because if I read it as a kid, I probably would have been like, "What's this?" I, I don't right. think I would, You know, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have gotten it. It wouldn't have had the impact that it had when i when i'm older and more understanding of it but it's sitting there on my bookshelf it's definitely one of my favorite stories
0: uh sean it is your turn to pick your second favorite thing from 1988 all right
1: so this one was kind of a toss-up between just going with the obvious and saying well the teenage mutant ninja turtle figures came out in 1988 and i was all over that shit um, but I feel like we've talked about Ninja Turtles before, and I'm pretty sure I did an episode with you where that's all we talked about was Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so instead, I'm going to go with something else that is not necessarily a favorite as in, man, this is something I want to see all the time. But the nostalgia for this is strong and the feeling that like it was everywhere, and that was the uh, the Land Before Time movie. Oh, Okay. And- And even more important than the movie, because, again, I apparently saw a lot of movies in the theater in 1988. I think I was finally out out of the house. Uh, I I definitely remember seeing this in the theater. And more importantly, I remember the Land Before Time puppets that we had all gotten from Pizza Hut. Yes. That we took with us, and we were acting out the movie while we were watching the movie. And um, that was one. I mean, obviously, when we were kids in the 80s – and even a little bit into the 90s, the, the cross-promotional marketing was everywhere, right? You couldn't get away from a was Happy Meal. It phenomenal. Girl. Right? It was great. We had some of the best damn Happy Meal toys. Yeah. I had entire Lego systems built just from Happy Meal toys.
0: They were trying to make uh, us so fat. And uh, looking down winning. at myself, they succeeded.
1: They absolutely succeeded. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so these – and they were actually really good – Like, if I remember correctly, they were really high-quality puppets that you got from a pizza place. And and I don't remember Pizza Hut. You know, McDonald's we went to all the time. Burger King we went to all the time. Um, Pizza Hut was not a regular stop for us. But I remember seeing this. I was like, Mom and Dad, we got to go to Pizza Hut because I want a dinosaur puppet right now. Um, and then, of course, Land Before Time. It's it's a great movie. It's it's Amblen Entertainment. It's Spielberg. It's Lucas. It's Don Bluth Animation, which was basically the only you you had three animation studios. Uh, as far as I was concerned, when you was a kid, you had, you had Don Bluth, who was that guy whose name I didn't know until I was an adult. Right. But I liked his stuff. Right. Um, you know, uh, Land Before Time and. Um, Five and and all that stuff uh then warner brothers and disney which had been around since time immemorial uh, and so i was like oh this is that this is that other thing that i like that's really good um and uh yeah so we definitely we went and saw that one in the theaters had the puppets and i'm pretty sure i managed to get all of the puppets like every last one of them and i think there were like four or five. Yeah, four of them. I just looked it up. Yeah, so, and I had all four of them. I don't know how I convinced my parents to go to Pizza Hut four times.
0: Oh, I do. But... I'll <laughs> because... wait until you're done, but I know.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it over to you then because uh, um, I, I, now I want to hear this.
0: So Pizza Hut was not a regular stop for us either. Uh, but I had, in 1988, my sister was four years old prime age for land before time oh yeah absolutely and she wanted those puppets like crazy and me being a 12 year old who never really grew up in in any significant way wanted the puppets too but like couldn't admit that i wanted the puppets And, and this is a guy who was still like At this time, I don't think I was playing with G.I. Joe's still. I think they had lost me. I think '87 is when G.I. Joe lost me. But uh, Ninja Turtles were creeping in and a couple other things. But uh, Pizza Hut, if you went there and dined in, had a buffet that had pasta and pizza and salad. Um, And so my sister wanting those puppets. We, like, once a week for four weeks, however long it took to get all the puppets, we would go out to the Pizza Hut buffet because my dad loved their buffet. My mom obviously didn't want to have to cook dinner every single night, which she she pretty much did, but it was nice to have a night off. So, like, everybody got a little something out of going to the Pizza Hut buffet. Oh, and they had a tabletop centipede there that I played every single time we went because that's my favorite arcade game of all time but we got for for my sister she had uh like you said i guess all four of the puppets and they were great uh there were these great glove puppets rubber glove puppets with really nice paint jobs uh there was actually blending on the bodies the eyes were this glossy white they i mean they looked very very much like the animation that they were based on. They were high-quality toys, and Pizza Hut didn't do a ton of premiums like that back in the day, so it was kind of a big deal that they had these. But, yeah, it's funny you bring this up, and I hadn't even thought about this until you did, but, yeah, we had a month straight of Pizza Hut buffet visits just to get those little puppets.
1: Yeah, and that's probably (laughs) uh, because, yeah, my sister, let's see, my brother would have been eight, and my sister would have been four,
0: Oh, and yeah. so, yeah, so yeah, yeah.
1: perfect, perfect demographic. And then just, yeah, getting my mom was another one that was making dinner just about every night. So selling her on like, hey, we can go and get a lot of pizza um, was probably a lot easier sell than I remember it being. Yes. Absolutely. And then I was like and, and probably to be perfectly honest, I also made sure to get puppets for my brother and sister who weren't really into toys. And so I just kind of absconded with them at some point point. was like, <laughs> I'll just keep these in my
0: room. And right, so that's right. also
1: probably how I ended up with a few of them.
0: Yeah. Oh, I definitely uh, was was playing with those things pretty frequently, even though they maybe weren't mine. Uh, Chris, well, Chris, you're, you you might have been still kind of at the target age for Land Before Time. Was this a thing for you? Land Before Time was not
3: a thing for me. And matter of fact, we didn't get the VHS tape until maybe like a couple of years later for Christmas because my sister had seen it on TV and she wanted it, and so we had the V. But I think I might have watched it like once in my life. It just wasn't really a big thing for me.
0: Um, well, you'd already you'd the, already seen horror movies and stuff at this point, so little that, animated dinosaurs were maybe not right. in your wheelhouse. Sharp tooth yeah, was no, not they, scary at all. <laughs> they
3: were, you know, I was watching, you know, my tape of Revenge of the Ninja and the Terminator upstairs.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. That's great. You know, I was.
3: I was not, you know, but it's funny because I, I've always been a cartoon fan. So animation, you know, especially a future length movie and especially having a younger sister she's five years younger than me. So we went to the cinema for Disney movies and an American tale and all the different stuff like that. But Land Before Time, for whatever reason, we didn't go to the cinema. She didn't see it until it was on TV. And at that point, I was like, all right, whatever. Like, you know, I was probably like 10, 11 when we got the VHS date. And at that point, forget it. Now I'm into like sitcoms and, you know, all the other stuff. Like I'm, I'm growing. Whereas nowadays, I sit and watch Tom and Jerry for two hours almost every night. So,
0: <laughs> Well, and that's funny because I don't know that I've ever actually seen any of the, what, eight Land Before Time movies.
3: Oh, or, yeah, they started the direct video sequels. And yeah, all yeah. That stuff.
0: There, there are more of them than you think there are. Uh, Beth, I, I'm just going to assume you don't even know what we're talking about.
2: I I do. Um you, you and you and Sean are making me feel like I'm about ninety though, because I was certainly not playing with Pizza Hut puppet toys with, with in 1988.
0: Well, you're not playing with children's rubber puppets <laughs> in nineteen eighty eight. Now
1: to be fair, Dave and no. I would be playing with children's puppets regardless yeah, of how right, nonstop.
2: For probably right now. Years. <laughs>
0: No, I'm fiddling around with uh, the the time thing from Harry Potter. I can't remember what it's called. Time Turner. Yeah, whatever Hermione uses to... <laughs> it's, it's a great yeah, desk that's, trinket. That's what Terry would call a dork test.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just failed. <laughs> uh, I watched The Lamb Before Time on VHS when I was babysitting. There you go. So I watched it with a three-year-old and a two-year-old, and they cried pretty much the entire way through because everything was scary when you're two and three years old. So it, at that time and place, I was just like, everybody shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Make the scary monsters go away so these kids will shut up and go to sleep.
0: Let's find a different <laughs> movie that's not as upsetting.
1: I'm Everything actually willing- is
2: upsetting when you're two. <laughs>
1: I'm willing to bet, Beth. That if we did an informal poll of uh, women your age, the number of <laughs> the number of them that watched *The Land Before Time* while babysitting is probably greater than fifty percent.
2: Oh, for sure. I, I'm certain
0: it's high. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That
2: that was the first job any of us ever had.
0: All right, well, Beth, we're going to stick with you. What is your second favorite thing of 1988?
2: Sticking with the adult themes and not the children's themes,
0: <laughs> I'm going... What are you trying to say? <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, nothing. I'm not judging. I feel besmirched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fairness, you always feel that way. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I am going with Heathers, oh, which okay. I actually saw in the theater. No kidding. Wow. I, I don't know how I saw it in the theater. I saw it with a group of girls I hung out with. Whenever it came out, uh, I saw the trailer for it and was like, meh. But they all wanted to go real bad, and they ended up hating it, and I loved it.
0: Oh, isn't that great? You're, like, vindicated for, like, oh, I went, and now I'm the one that gets it.
2: They they hated it. They thought it was going to be a cute high school rom-com (laughs) kind of thing. And, of course, it was so much darker. And being the dark person that I am, I immediately was on board with that. And, again, it's another one of those movies where I had to take a nice break from. Because I couldn't stop quoting it for a very long time. Anytime anyone ever would talk about somebody dying, I love my dead gay son. (laughs) And... (laughs) My teen angst bullshit has a body count, and and big fun, teenage suicide, don't do it. Could not stop talking about that stuff for a long time. And, of course, the people I hang out with did not get it, so they did not want to talk to me for quite a while after that. But it still holds up. It's still funny. At the time, of course, Christian Slater was not the train wreck he is today. So, you know, hey, it's that guy from Gleaming the Cube.
0: Is he a train wreck now? I didn't know that.
2: I believe he is. Oh no! Or at least he well, just that, looks like one. That's so
3: disappointing. Because yeah, didn't he just have a show not long ago? That like breaking in show. Wasn't that yeah,
1: breaking in was great. I love that show. It was like Mr. Robot comedy.
3: <laughs> and it took place in the same universe as Prison Break, I think. Yes, I think you're right. I think they they carried over like a character from Prison Break or something for an episode. Yeah, he
2: might have pulled it together, but for a little while there, he was he was Val Kilmer rough. Oh
3: no! Oof, that's yeah. brutal. I actually just bought a movie at the dollar store that he was in with Sean Bean and Ving Rhames called soldiers of fortune.
2: Oh, did Did Sean Bean die?
3: I have not watched it. Uh, I have not watched it yet, so I cannot, uh, say yes or no to that, but my guess would be based on previous statistics, probably.
0: So I didn't see Heather's uh, until a long time. As a matter of fact, it might've been at waiter on wheels that I was talking about before. Uh, And I I didn't watch it for a long time because my assumption, oddly enough, was the same as your friends, that it would be some kind of teenage rom-com that I wouldn't be very interested in. And then once I did see it, I was like, oh, this is good. Look at this Christian Slater guy go. And actually, I probably had already seen... uh, Oh, shit. What is the the movie that Tarantino wrote but did not direct uh, Christian Slater and... Oh, True Romance. True Romance. Thank you. I I think I had already seen True Romance before I saw Heather's, and it was a matter of like, oh, Christian Slater and Winona Ryder are cool. I guess I'll watch this movie, even though it looks like some lame teenage, like, pretty in pink bullshit. Uh, and and then watched it, and I was like, oh, that was pretty messed up. Good. Uh, I like that. <laughs> uh, what, Sean and Chris? What about you guys?
1: Uh, I didn't see Heather's till later. Um, I think I caught it on video. I didn't see it in theaters. Um, and it's weird because I was all in on all of those weird coming of age high school movies. So I feel like the one that should have been one that I did see. Um, but no, I caught it. I think I was probably at a friend's, like at a, at a party or something I was playing in the background. And I was like, what is this crazy thing? And like, Oh, it's Heather's. You should watch it. And, uh, eventually I did. Um, uh, and I was all in on Christian Slater. I mean, Green- gleaming the cube and pump up the volume and all that stuff. I was like, "That's me.
3: I relate to this character." <laughs> I was having identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm like the polar opposite of everybody because when I was a kid, I and I'm still obsessed with high school coming of age things and stuff like that. So I'm like, "This movie's weird. This isn't like Morgan Stewart's coming home. What is this like?" You know, I, I didn't grasp the concept of you know dark comedy and all that stuff, and I think I've only seen Heather's maybe like two or three times in adulthood, despite owning it on DVD. Like I've only watched it a handful of times. It's one of those movies that I've watched, and I'm like, okay, so it's it's good. Like I get it now, but I'm never in a rush to rewatch it.
0: In the same way, I I've seen it maybe three to five times, something like that, and you know, and it is. It's like you said, I get it. Okay. I'm good. It, it's not a. It's not a uh, yearly or, or even every five years visit for me, especially at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's see. I, it's time. You guys are you guys ready to talk about some things we didn't like? Oh sure. yeah. Same. All right. I'm going to kick this off. Uh, I apologize in advance to the listeners. Uh, I apologize in advance to, to you guys because I'm about to ruin your day. <laughs> because the thing from 1988 that I... I would say I hate. I, I This was just generally going to be things we dislike because I feel like hate is a very strong word, but hate is really the only word for the song Kokomo. <laughs> <laughs> the... Ever present, just saccharine, totally uninteresting, awful. You know, the Beach Boys, uh, for me, one of the top 10 bands of all time, prior to Kokomo, anyway. Matter of fact, Kokomo could almost knock them out of that by itself. This song is such a drizzling piece of garbage, and it was everywhere it was on the oldie stations it was on the top 40 stations it was on fucking full house it was everywhere and it's john one stamos of,
3: couldn't it for you no
0: no not even <laughs> the mighty greek god stamos <laughs> could salvage this horrible horrible earworm piece of shit i loathe this song i never want to think about it I never want to hear it again. I hated it back then. I hate it now. It's one of the worst fucking things that's ever been recorded. Uh, Do you guys remember the fucking omnipresence of Kokomo back in the day?
3: Oh, very much so, especially being an eight-year-old whose mother controlled the radio in the car.
0: Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: like, God forbid I turn on the rap channel. You can't listen to this stuff, but I have that CD at home. Well, I didn't buy it for you. (laughs) Here's more Kokomo.
1: (laughs) I loved Kokomo.
3: No! I was all
0: about oh, that. Oh, Sean! You're, I'm ejecting you from the show. <laughs> Bad show. I was a sucker that anything that even
1: remotely had anything to do with the beach, and I was kind of jealous of Tom Cruise, but the, of how cool Tom Cruise was in cocktails. The cocktail. Beach so Boys like, have Dun. 8
0: million you know, other great songs deep. about the beach. You don't have to listen to this one.
3: it's because they were the beach boys
1: right right and they had uncle jesse and it was i don't know and i remember trying to get i vividly remember debates with my younger brother because we did not know what most of those words were and uh we're like no it's this it's like and he's like no that's it's martinique i want a rotten steak and i'm like that doesn't even make any sense uh, uh yeah so i was a big fan i was like oh, i'm fine with this this is a good one this is i i had a few like top 40 pop songs and i was like no that's good i'm fine with that uh when i wasn't listening to public enemy or anthrax and uh and that was one of them i was fine with that one i was like that's oh, good i'm good
3: uh... <laughs> I, l- I like a lot of cornball cheesy heavily manufactured you know what people would call pop crap i've got about 30,000 000- let me see Thirty six thousand songs on my in my iTunes library, and Kokomo was not one of them.
0: <laughs> uh, no, no, sterner indictment will be had this evening.
2: My husband listens to Taylor Swift and Katy Perry, and he would
0: slap you for this. Yeah, <laughs> and now it's and now it's stuck in everybody's head, and for that, I should yeah, spend thanks, an eternity for in that. hell. Uh, all right, now we're just at
3: the tourist agency right now. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, All right, Chris, what from 1988 do you take issue with?
3: All right, so uh, I know I had mentioned in our little group chat about kind of bending the rule a little bit. So this is going to go based on how I felt about this in 1988 at the moment in time where I discovered it, where I saw it. So I'm putting myself back into my eight-year-old body. But my dislike from 1988 would be Child's Play. Oh, and I will explain why, because as we've discussed in this podcast and in others, growing up around my cousins, I was witness to many a movie that I should not have seen. Uh, at this point in my life, I had already seen Friday the 13th. I thought Friday the 13th Part 6 was great to the states, It's my favorite one in the series. I had seen Freddy Krueger. I had seen Ninja movies. I had seen Bloodshed. I had seen Naked Bodies. I had seen everything an 8-year-old should be kept far, far away from. Them. <laughs> and now, here comes this movie. And the way movies would be explained to me when I was a kid was my cousin would be like, all right, you know, if it gets a little too crazy, you're going to hide your eyes. or I'll tell you to leave the room for a minute or whatever. So my cousin has a VHS tape from the video store and he's like, hey, you want to come watch a movie? I'm like, OK, what is it? He's like, well, this doll like hurts people. It's kind of like a-, a bad doll guy. I'm like, OK, all right. Like, whatever. Like, I know what dolls are. Like, how bad could it be? And the couches that we had in the living room my cousin decides to take my younger cousins, my buddy doll and prop it up on the couch in a seated position. Oh, So if you remember the first child's play, it's not, Hey, it's Chucky. It's more of a psychological torture for that first hour or so where you just see the shadows and the hands and yeah, is yeah. Andy doing this, you know what's going on. So of course I don't get that aspect of it. I just know I'm not seeing anything totally creepy. That's freaking me out. And when Catherine Hicks picks him up, And finds no batteries in them. And he starts flipping out. I felt my soul leave my body. (laughs) And all I could see was the My Buddy doll sitting next to me. Coming to life and attacking me. So I promptly punched it and threw it behind the couch. Went running, screaming for my aunt. This experience traumatized me for a literal decade. Because when Child's Play 2 came out. I first found out that was coming out by a commercial airing on television, and I promptly turned my head and could not look at the screen. I could literally not look at Chucky. Anytime I went to the video store, if I wanted to go down the horror aisle, an aisle that I had been down a million times before, I could not walk past the seas without turning my head. I could not look at the box art of any child's play movie. When part three came out, there was a video store on the way home to my house, actually from my aunt's house. What poster did they have front and center in the window? The big face, which was the poster art for part three. So I used to see that all the time. Some nights coming home from my aunt's house after midnight. So what's a half-asleep 8-year-old kid, or uh, well, at that point 11-year-old kid, want to see? Not a big, giant Chucky face staring in his face at a red light. So, <coughs> excuse me. It was literally not until I went to see the first rush hour in theaters that there was a trailer for Bride of Chucky And that was the first time in my life at 17 years old, almost 18 years old, I had ever actually watched Chucky for more than five seconds on screen since the initial viewing of child's play. Wow. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is the shit I was afraid of. (laughs) And it, it became like a running gag that, you know, rush hour was like my child's play intervention. And now like I was cured. (laughs) So actually for, uh, for, for in 1998, uh, Bride of Chucky came out on October 16th, 1998. I remember that date because that was the date that I finally found the Garbage Pail Kids movie at a video store and rented it and bootlegged it um, after my searching for years over that one. But uh, I saw Bride of Chucky opening night in the theaters. And then that Christmas, uh, one of my friends bought me part one and part two on VHS – and I went out to Seattle for the first time that year because a good friend of mine that I had grown up with had just moved out there. So we spent New Year's out in Seattle. And his girlfriend worked at a Safeway. And the Safeway, this is when the supermarkets had the video stores inside them. And you know, he was one of my best friends. So he was busting my chops about, hey, you're finally not a pussy anymore. You're watching Chucky. Hey, good mm-hmm. for you. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, when I get home, I got to go buy part three because so-and-so gave me part one and two for Christmas. Well, his girlfriend, sweetheart that she was, went to work. Checked out part three and deleted it from the system and actually stole it from the Safeway video store so that I could have it. (laughs) So in that VHS collection that I still maintain, I have a Safeway rental copy of Child's Play 3 that was stolen by my friend's girlfriend so that I could have the complete Chucky collection once I overcame my fear.
0: That is fantastic.
3: So it went from terrorizing to sentimental, but if we are looking at this in 1988 eyes, sure, it scarred me for a decade. I literally could not look at print. I could not look at screen. I could not look at anything involving Chucky.
0: Oh, that's a wonderful story. I love that. That's, I, love, I love the stuff that scarred us that we're able to look back on and be like, okay, I get it now.
3: If I come across it on television, even though I own it, I've seen it a million times, it will still make me jump a little bit. Just, like, there's something in my system, in my psych, that makes me, like, just, oh, just struck you, okay.
0: Well, but and I get, like,
3: that little split second.
0: Well, and it doesn't help that it has legitimately great jump scares in it. I mean, it, it is a well-crafted film, that first one. Oh, well, Oh, I, I enjoy all of them, but that first one, uh, I, I don't know that it gets enough credit for being uh, such a well-done movie. The first
3: one is amazing. It's kind of odd, though, that the way the sequels went in some ways, that it's always been Don Mancini behind them all. It's like they really veered off to the left in later years. But I don't know if you're all caught up, if you've seen the most recent ones. The yes. First the cult. yes. Fantastic. Dude. Absolutely awesome. fantastic. The, the way they have transitioned this series, but yet kept all the continuity is just amazing. And people listening are like, really, Child's Play continuity? Do yourself a favor, especially that last one. That just absorbed everything. Just fantastic, fantastic writing. I'm really a fan of where they went with it.
0: Well, and the funny thing is, out of all of the the horror series, it is the one that, from the first movie to the most current movie, there is a through line. It all works. There are no, there's no rebooting. There are no, like, shitty new ideas that they abandoned after one movie. There's no, like, because you can't follow... Um, Friday the 13th, on Elm Street, like none of the Halloween, none of those franchises hold steady throughout their entire history, but Child's Play does. Yep. Even with the Seed of Chucky and all that stuff. Everything just, you know. I I, will talk about Seed of Chucky as little as possible, but (laughs) it still fits. Uh, All right. Uh, Anybody else uh, horrified by Child's Play initially? I'll, I'll admit that it, like, Definitely, I was older when I saw it, but I mean, it, it creeped me out. It's got, it, like I said, it's a well crafted film. It, it it's got some great jump scares.
2: It
1: Sean, have you reminded seen it? Me. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Oh come
2: it on! Was...
1: <laughs> All right, <laughs> Beth.
2: It reminded it reminded me a lot of uh, when I first saw ads for and first saw it. Uh, remember Trilogy of Terror? Oh yeah, sure. Yes. Yep. Yeah the the Karen Black bit with the doll that attacks her and the, then the ends zuni, up possessing her
0: zuni doll or whatever it's called yeah. i can't remember yeah it,
2: absolutely so i had for it i was like oh it looks, that's that's what that is and then i watched it and i was like okay well that's a little creepier because i've seen my buddy dolls in people's houses and that's right, a little right. creepier than an african doll <laughs> that people don't have
0: well uh we're gonna stick with you beth it is your turn to discuss what displeased you in 1988
2: I am going to veer off a little bit as well because I really, really looked and despite the number of metal albums that came out in 1988, I didn't hate them because I just didn't listen to them. I I couldn't find anything that I really was just upset or angry about and I know that's going to shock and surprise people. Whoa. I know. So, I'm picking something that I loved in 1988 and I just cannot ever see again and that is the movie Willow.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh.
2: You, would, you would think that the magic of Ron Howard and George Lucas would last forever, but it does not. No? No. Have, have any of you seen it in the last five years?
0: No, probably not. No, okay. I haven't seen I, it in the last ten years. I don't know that I, I liked I, it when I saw it.
2: I loved it when I first saw it. And then five years ago, I tried to watch it again, and I was just like, God, what the, wh- why?
0: <laughs> what
2: is happening, and why?
0: Now, we all have to remember that this is the same Beth that was defending Krull up until recently.
2: Yeah. And then I watched it, and I admitted defeat. <laughs> yeah.
3: I would suggest going to your local theater in August because the Mystery Science Theater crew is going to be riffing Krull live in theaters on the simulcast for Tracks. Oh,
0: wow. I
2: absolutely go see that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yes,
2: I I have left the Krull truthers behind. <laughs> oh, man. And, and Willow is just, God, awful now. I can see why they kept Warwick Davis in suits for so long because he... He can't
0: act now. When you when you look back, can you remember what you liked about it initially? Just the fantasy well, setting, or
2: I'm I've always been super into fantasy, and you know, having loved things like Labyrinth and Legend, and yes, Once Upon a Time, Krull and and all of that. I just, it's like oh, it's magic and it's fantasy and it's elves and pixies and shit. I love that garbage. So, of course, I loved it at the time. I was fourteen. Val Kilmer was hot. There was there was magic and and garbage and all that shit. What was and his now, name
0: in that? Didn't he have some cool name? Mad Martigan. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool name. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> oh boy, Willow.
2: It, it's awful. If if you haven't seen it lately, don't go see it again.
0: Yeah, I think I'll take your advice on that one, Sean and Chris. are You guys pretty much in agreement. Willow, not so much.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm all out on Willow. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I enjoy uh, Leprechaun though, so Gay Warwick Davis.
0: Yeah, in general, I I do enjoy Warwick Davis, but Willow's not. It's not on any of my lists at all. He need,
2: he needs to stick to Leprechaun movies.
0: <laughs> uh, Sean, wrap up this this section of displeasure.
1: Yeah. So I kind of, uh, much like Beth, I had to search, you know, uh, 88 was a weird year. Um, I, uh, uh, I had just moved. So, uh, I wasn't like, I hated a lot of stuff, but then I went back to it and I was like, no, I don't really hate that. I was just a miserable kid. <laughs> um, and, and so I was like, I don't know. I don't, I think I like it, whatever. Um, so, uh, So in searching for things that happened in 1988 to really see if I could find something, I I did come across something. And uh, you'll appreciate this, Dave, I think. Uh, WrestleMania Uh 4, we had my favorite wrestler, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, (laughs) going against the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental Championship. And Brutus was robbed of that Intercontinental Championship, <laughs> because Honky Tonk got himself disqualified. So, Brutus wins the match, but doesn't get to win the belt. Now, I will say the silver lining is he was able to cut Jimmy Hart's hair, so that was good. But, uh, yeah, my my man, Brutus the Barber, the greatest wrestler of all time. <laughs> that is so, I get it, I could barely say that with a straight face. Uh,
0: <laughs> Did he, he yes. actually, like, remove the Hart mullet?
1: Um yeah, he was uh, well, I don't know that he cut all of it off. You remember back then he cut like pieces of it off. Right, right. <laughs> Most of it was fake and it was already in his hand. Um and at least he didn't take him with the giant lawn shears. Um but uh but yeah, I was like, "Damn, that's" "Take your head, hand. Jimmy Hart." Right. <laughs> uh Hulk Hogan's is my best friend and that's the whole reason I have a job. Um But uh but yeah, when I when I was searching through and I saw that, I was like, "Oh, that's right." That damn dastardly honky tonk man <laughs> robbed Brutus of his intercontinental <laughs> championship that was rightfully his. Uh so uh so that's my, my disappointing thing from uh from nineteen
0: eighty eight. That's all no, no, that's fair. That's fair yeah. definitely. Chris, I, I, I feel like you've probably got input on this one.
3: Uh yeah, Brutus is definitely not the best wrestler of all time. I don't know where <laughs> that one is. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Brutus is awful, but he's just a great dumb gimmick. I just remember that WrestleMania 4 as a whole, as a kid, I was like, oh, it's a tournament, all these guys. And watching it as I got older, it's not one that holds up. I really don't think much holds up about it other than DiBiase versus Savage in the finals um, and then the Battle Royal. I think that the tournament was kind of pretty weak overall. But as far as Brutus and Honky specifically, those are two guys that I was really never into so I really have no uh, major opinion on that matchup. Those are two guys that were very, the very definition of just there to eight year old me because and, uh I, I was I was a very young, smart fan.
0: Well,
1: and they are kind of the quintessential eighties wrestler. Like both of very their gifts so. are really kind of dumb. Um and and you're watching it like Hulk H- like Hogan, Andre, um, you know, even Shawn Michaels, all these guys have surpassed sort of just being big in the eighties. But uh I don't know how many people are lining up, you know, randomly to be at, at cons and stuff to be like, hey, I'm going to go, I really got to get in line early for Honky's Honky's still autograph. a big
0: deal, man. Is he? Honky still pulls down some bucks for indie shows. <laughs> wow. He I also think.
3: registered, like, six other gimmicks and gets a cut of them. <laughs> Does he really? <laughs> no. He, he uh, for instance, he owns the trademark now to the Patriot, so the guy who portrays the Patriot oh, is actually really? Tom Brandy aka Sal sincere so Dell Wilkes the Patriot the Patriot of WCW and 97 WF fame can't even appear as the Patriot there's like this whole big legal oh my wrangling
0: gosh that's crazy Ow.
3: that's strange yep and supposedly I don't know how true this is but supposedly he registered like the hacksaw trademark so like hacksaw gives him a cut like I've seen that stuff posted on like message boards and stuff, so I don't know if that's just internet war or whatever, but I know for a fact from trying to make a Patriot figure in the Figures Toy Company Legends line that it is the honky-tonk man who owns the rights to the gimmick, but there's so much legal back and forth that we were like, yeah, you know what, we're just going to not even try.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you just have to let it go. Yep. All right. Well, we we made it through that murky swamp of 1988 disappointment. Let's wrap things up with a little speed round. I think each of us have one more thing that we loved about 1988. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, it's my turn. It's my turn. So I'm going to briefly mention the Dino Riders toy line. Uh, Somehow or other, as I was uh, sort of phasing out of toys a bit, although I never really did because the Ninja (laughs) Turtle toy line just kept me going, uh, but for all intents and purposes, my parents were kind of done buying me toys for the most part. Somehow I convinced my mom that dino riders were educational.
1: <laughs> they're so, dinosaurs!
0: So a, I, I, I ended up with a decent selection of dino riders of the first series, and to this day, I still think they're some of the best toys that have ever been made and they're from Tyco who I mean that's a that's a company you really don't even think of all that much anymore for me you know when I think about Tyco I think more of the like uh the race car sets and stuff um, Oh yeah they did all the remote control cars Yeah that was that was kind of their bread and butter but they launched this Dino Riders line of incredibly accurate by 1988 standards dinosaurs that you would attach armor and lasers and rockets to. And then the little figures, which were the good guys were humans. The bad guys were ants and sharks and various other weird (laughs) aliens. Uh, and the little guys rode the dinosaurs around hence dino riders uh, but they were fantastic. And what I love, one of the things I loved so much is that when you did take all the armor and stuff off, it was just a dinosaur. None of that stuff was sculpted onto the dinosaur figures, uh, which always bugged the crap out of me when I was a kid, when it was like an extraneous extra part, but then it was molded onto the figure and you couldn't have like a pristine figure. Uh, that's a whole other episode I could get into. Uh, but I just loved the fact that you had this giant Tyrannosaurus Rex that looked like the type of T-Rex you'd see in a museum, but then you clipped all this stuff onto it, and it's this crazy science fiction murder machine. Uh, how can we make a Tyrannosaurus Rex even more dangerous, strap freaking laser beams to its head? Put
1: put guns on it and let it be driven by an anthropomorphic shark.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it was just, it's just an absolutely fantastic toy line uh I, i've they're all great i'm sitting here looking at a, a great website uh dino that lists all the different series and variations and everything else and i, I mean i love the diplodocus i think that was probably my favorite one because i was always partial to troop transports and this thing had big giant cargo pods on the side but anyway dino Riders, fantastic toy line of 1988 uh, and and really one of the few that that launched that year. Not a whole lot of new stuff came out that year. Uh, do you guys remember the Dino Riders? I do. I actually
3: had several, but I couldn't tell you a character's name. I was never like as heavily invested, but I did get a few for Christmas in 1988. I had about maybe three or four of them.
0: Well, it's funny because as with all 80s toy lines, it had a cartoon. Uh, that was actually part of the Marvel Action Universe, uh, alongside RoboCop and uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends reruns, and then later and on the one a couple other of things. X- yeah, right. Exactly. Well, in 1989, prior to the X-Men uh, came out, which was kind of the yep. pseudo pilot for uh, the the X-Men animated series. Which, if you're interested in that, I interviewed the showrunner just last week, right here on the Needless Things podcast. Uh, But, yeah, I don't remember the Dino Riders cartoon at all. I just remember the toys, and they they were great. They were great toys. Sean, Dino Riders? Uh,
1: Yeah, I had none of the Dino Riders. I think (laughs) at that time I was was strictly Ninja Turtles, and I was knee-deep in BMX, so uh, I wasn't collecting as many toys. I was buying bike parts.
0: Trying to get that sweet, sweet bike tang. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, there's none of that. That was a whole cool song, wasn't it, Mike Parks?
0: <laughs> uh, Beth, do you do you have any recollection of Dino Riders? There's no reason you should.
2: Yeah, I was a 14 year old girl in
0: 1988. Yeah. So I got you. No, no. I, there I, was I, part of me that wanted Beth to go. Like, yeah, I have the entire. Set. Right? <laughs> I love them. They're fantastic. Uh, all right, well, Beth, what is your final great thing from 1988?
2: It was a tough call. Um, also surprising, uh, there's no video game. I have no video game for 1988. Um, oh, that I do is have kind another movie. I know there weren't. I looked, there weren't that many good ones. I, I wasn't that into Mario. There was Mario two and three, eh. but it was a tough choice between Beetlejuice and They Live, and I went with Beetlejuice.
0: If if I They've, could have put money on one of your picks it would have been Beetlejuice.
2: It it was exactly what I needed when I needed it because it was right when I was starting to realize, oh yeah, I'm I am kind of weird, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I I am into weird shit. Cuz I didn't know that what I was into was weird up until about that point when I started to enter high school and, and meet a large group of other people. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm not like all these other people, am I? These people are normal. I am not. And Beetlejuice was one of the things that made me realize that. Because I, I, not to get on a big Winona Ryder kick, I know I picked two Winona Ryder movies, but it wasn't because of her, but I identified with her character because of the line with, I myself am strange and unusual. Like, wait, I am, but not not in the you know quirky like. No, I'm it's just... okay.
0: It's okay. This is a Shut safe. Up. This is a safe place.
2: No, it's not.
0: No, <laughs> no, it's cool. I'm here, so it doesn't. Oh no, well, yeah, yeah it's, it's Sean is here, so he's he's like our our disdain sponge. It all gets
3: we like anti-planet fitness. This is not a judgment <laughs> <You're
2: right>. <laughs> <laughs> Having loved Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and and the visuals and everything that Tim Burton put into that, seeing Beetlejuice and it still being funny, before he really started getting dark and super extra quirky, it was perfect.
0: Now, did you know at the time, like, like, did you know the name Tim Burton at the time?
2: I did, actually. I I owned Pee-wee's Big Adventure probably the instant it came out on VHS. It's probably still in my closet somewhere, even though I no longer have a VHS player. But it's probably still somewhere here. I was obsessed with that. I was already an Oingo Boingo fan.
1: Oh, so okay, okay.
2: Some of us discovered Oingo Boingo before five years ago.
0: All right. It wasn't even five. It was like last <laughs> okay, year. Like, it's, it's even worse okay.
2: than that. All right. I was trying to give you some kind of credit. No, don't don't bother.
0: Um uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I was even aware. I mean, I, again, much like Roger Rabbit, Beetlejuice is one that my papa took me to see in the theater, and uh, he he didn't care for it at all. But uh, I loved it. I thought it was amazing, uh, and the music, Danny Elfman's music, is one of the things that really stayed with me about the movie. But I don't think uh, until Batman came out the next year, I don't think I really had any awareness of Tim Burton as a a specific like director or person uh but then when i dove into all things batman is when i started learning like oh crap that's the same guy that did these other movies that i love great i'm excited michael keaton what but uh we'll we'll get into that in next year's episode uh any other beetlejuice memories from you guys or or beth did you have more about beetlejuice no i I was trying to keep it with the speed
2: round. That's all I have. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, it's, well, you know, people keep listening. They love us. <laughs> Chris and Sean, any any Beetlejuice-specific stuff?
1: I love Beetlejuice. Came to it late, so.
0: unsurprised.
1: I
3: actually I came to it early, and uh, my sister actually came to it even earlier, because as I said, she's five years younger, so when it premiered on cable, we were watching it, and she decided to mimic the uh, nice fucking model scene because she didn't really <laughs> grasp that fact, and she was only four years old at the time. So, yeah, that uh, that was probably funnier than the movie to me at that point. But it's a movie that I enjoy. It's just one of those movies that's there, you know what I mean? It's, it's another movie that I own. I'll watch it if it's on, but nothing that I go out of my way to see. But I'm a Michael Keaton fan, and I think he's just fantastic in that movie.
0: Yeah, his his character in that one. I mean, for 12-year-old me, he was pretty much the coolest guy on the planet at the time. Uh, let's see, Sean, your final great thing from 1988.
1: My final pick, rounding out uh, what is kind of a dinosaur-heavy episode uh, <laughs> with, with Lamp Before Diamond Dino Riders. Oh, right. Uh, there was a cartoon that I feel like people know what this is, but at the same time, when I was watching it, nobody knew what the hell it was, and I feel like it was the only person in the world watching it. But I was addicted to Denver, The Last Dinosaur, there we I go. still
3: remember the theme song.
1: Because well, it's awesome. It's a, <laughs> it's a fucking uh, dinosaur with playing guitar and doing extreme sports. So here's how I got into this again. Because like I said, I was knee-deep into BMX in 1988. And um, I see this cartoon, and it has a skateboarding and BMX riding dinosaur. And this is back when, other than watching the movie Rad at infinitum, which I totally did – Anything that even looked or smelled like BMX, I was going to watch because if they were going to ride bikes in an episode, I didn't want to miss it. And so I watched every damn episode about these kids and their random pet dinosaur that they were trying to hide from this villainous concert promoter that just wanted to put him on stage because he's a rock and roll dino. And uh, I was completely hooked on this show. Like Denver, the last dinosaur got me through some dark times when I was 12.
3: It was like they threw the land before time, rad and thrashing into a blender, and we got den for the last dinosaur. Right, and I am that cross section audience.
0: <laughs> if so Chris,
2: for, the, if, for you, the one person out there, it reached you. Yes,
0: yes. If Chris was not here to back you up, I would swear you had just created this in your. Brain. <laughs> I have. I you have to no... remember the theme songs, like Denver, the last, the last dinosaur. dinosaur. He's, He's our a friend, friend and a whole, and a whole lot, lot more. more. I have no recollection of this. Wow,
3: I, I you gotta look up the theme song on YouTube because this was funny. all over syndication. I, I remember wow. this vividly.
0: I wonder if I have some kind of weird, dark, repressed memory related to it, and that's why I can't remember it. I don't know. No, you probably had a functional childhood and friends. (laughs) No, definitely. (laughs) That certainly wasn't the issue, Sean. Let me just tell you. All right. uh, Chris, wrap us up. What is your final favorite thing from 1988?
3: Alright, so my final favorite thing from 1988, as I mentioned, I had already been heavily invested into comic books, very into superheroes, you heard my Hulk story. So 1988 saw the premiere of a television show about a teenage kid who gets superpowers when he gets struck down by a laser, and one of my favorite shows of all time is My Secret Identity, starring Jerry O'Connell.
0: Nice, nice. So here's this kid... That theme song is in my head right now.
3: Yes, yes, another very catchy tune. Yeah. But... What better way to spend a half hour every Saturday night at 6 o'clock than to watch a kid be able to fly, sometimes with the help of hairspray cans, or be completely invulnerable to punches, or have super speed? Uh, I remember that the first episode I ever taped, I was disappointed because it was like the third or fourth episode. And instead of being this awesome, like, i got to stop these bad guys using my powers, it was about how he wanted to join the track team and should he use his super speed or not to win. I'm like, oh, like... (laughs) <laughs> it's not as cool as the first three episodes. <coughs> Excuse me, but that is a show that, despite having no official DVD release, thanks to the powers of conventions and bootlegs, I managed to have the whole run on DVD.
0: Nice, yeah i I remember that show, uh, and it popped up in my list, and I was like, "Man, I know I watched it every single time it came on for for at least the first how many? Do you know how many seasons it ran?
3: It was it ran for." three seasons there's about like 60 or so episodes maybe a couple more you can actually watch most of them on youtube um until they get yanked down but they're up there in full in pretty good quality <clears throat> excuse me my allergies are kind of playing with me tonight so i've been coughing a little bit
0: oh no, worries, um, no worries. but
3: i was, i was so into this show here's how into the show i was so we went to disney world for the very first time at least my very first time the first week of december in 1988 and we were all getting ready, and it was a Saturday morning. And I guess in Florida, they aired My Secret Identity on a certain channel on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. It was definitely the weekend. But we were getting ready to go to the park, and I refused to leave the condo we were staying at until I could watch the episode of My Secret Identity. <laughs> and I remember the episode it was. was when his sister falls in the storm drain or the sewer drain, and he's going to figure out a way to get her without revealing his powers to her.
0: That's fantastic. It was almost... Uh, a younger oriented latter day greatest American hero kind of thing because he wasn't always great at using his powers.
3: Right? Yeah, he was very clumsy. And, yeah, you know, the, he, had, he had the scientist friend just like the comic relief trying to steer him in the right direction and stuff. And then in the later, you know, as Jerry O'Connell got a little bit older, it became more of like a high school show with superpowers, which was also cool to me because I'm all about the high school shows, as we know. Sure, but sure. it is a. <coughs> excuse me. It is a show that. You know, I wouldn't say every episode necessarily holds up. There's some pretty cheesy ones. Like there's one in the later seasons, which was inspired by the fact that Dick Tracy was in the movies where uh, Andrew, which was Jerry O'Connell's character, kind of imagines himself in Dick Tracy. So there's definitely some silly stuff that goes on. But overall, it's a great show, and it's one that I'll rewatch. Like I said, I've got the DVDs. And, uh, you know, if I can find them, you know, for free on YouTube, just if I'm, you know, cruising out and about on my phone or if I just want something to put on for background noise, I'll throw on some episodes and watch it. It's something that I still enjoy to this day.
0: Nice. Beth and Sean, do you guys remember that one? I have no idea what that is. Wow. And it looks like we have lost Sean for some reason. Uh, Perhaps he was attacked by birds. We may never know. (laughs)
3: Or Denver for the last dinosaur. Or Den for the last dinosaur.
0: <laughs> it's entirely possible. He, he um, was attacked by James. So, we, ha, having fulfilled my threat to eject Sean from the show for liking <laughs> for liking Kokomo, uh, let's. Oh, he's back. Sorry,
1: technical difficulties. With, guess who has the? Guess who's the technologist in the group? I um, was. Uh,
0: I was. I was claiming that I would ejected you for liking Kokomo.
1: <laughs> yeah, and for not knowing anything about uh, that show that we just talked about. So, well, that's okay. Cause it's, I, I joined back in to say I don't have anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have something because it's time for us to wrap this thing up and for everybody to talk about what you're up to and where we can find you online. Uh, Sean, let's start with you.
1: Uh, so you can find me uh, primarily on Instagram at the Rad Ranger. You can also go to Um It's Rad with Rad Ranger and Ryan is on hiatus right now. Uh, because there's been a whole lot of shows and uh, other things going on, and so Ryan hasn't had time to record, um, but we'll be back for Season 2 here very soon.
0: Did you say Season 2? Well, we're calling it. Get the fuck out of here with that (laughs) shit. Uh, Beth, Beth, where can we find you online?
2: (laughs) Well, um, you can find me at NeedlessThings.com every other Tuesday and coming up. An expose on how to stay married to a person who doesn't like Jaws, Predator, and the Raiders of the Lost Art. Oh, my
0: god. It gosh. may end in
2: divorce. The, I'm the, not the, sure yet how it, it may end. The trials and also that you... Gearing up, yeah, it's it's a rough life. <laughs> life is hard. <laughs> but I am gearing up for Dragon Con, so there is that mini vacation to look forward to while I contemplate my marriage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: Chris, what are you up to? Where can we find you online? And uh, any any news from uh, Figures Toy Company?
3: Yeah, so over at figurestoycompany.com, which is my employer, the company that I have worked for for nearly 20 years now, we just put out a whole bunch of awesome-looking new stuff. The most popular items right now would be the Kiss Dynasty collection in both 8-inch figure and 12-inch figure retro figure format and the Legends of Professional Wrestling we have created the first ever and probably the only ever figure <laughs> of the WCW Kiss Demon, which was officially yes. licensed and blessed by Kiss. It is a fantastic looking figure. It's one of our best. It just came out alongside Uventud Guerrera. Uh, the two of them are by far blowing up right now. Just everybody. A you know, was,
2: figure?
3: A Hoovy <laughs> figure. A, a what? Lucha what? figure.
0: Oh, Hoovy is Beth's favorite. Hoovie, <laughs> the juice is loose
3: at Figure Story Company. He is up there. Um, and
0: you, you guys just put up a Batcave, too, right? The
3: 1966 Batcave yes. with uh, images and designs based on those that you saw in the TV series. A uh, couple of Two-Face variants up there. A couple of Henchman packs for the henchmen from the 66 show. Uh, lots of stuff coming out on the wrestling end. I just signed Francine from ECW, so she's getting her first ever figure. She'll be the first female ever in any form of our Legends line. Um, working with some more top indie talent to lock and, some of those guys down. The first
0: Legends figure you have to be 18 or older to buy. <laughs> well,
3: she will be coming with the Singapore cane. What you guys do with that? That is completely. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: I'm just going to turn a blind eye to that one.
2: Um,
3: we also sell the wrestling merchandise at wrestlingsuperstore.com. You can find us at Figures Toy Co on Twitter at W-R-E-S underscore Superstore on Twitter. Look for the company name on Facebook and Instagram. When I am not working for a figures toy company and Wrestling Superstore, I am quite often doing things like this podcast uh, with our good friend Richard Yule. He and I just did a podcast on the first full season of Cobra Kai, which is a fantastic show. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, I also review movies over at BulletproofAction.com. My most recent one was Neon Maniacs, which you, Dave, said you had actually never seen, which surprised me. ever even heard of it i figured that movie was right up your alley and it is yeah i'll find out you can actually uh if you don't want to seek it out i mean it is available on dvd but it's uh it's up on youtube but it's up in youtube in pieces because that's how old it's been
0: oh no i'll I'll track one down before i'll watch that
3: (laughs) and uh my uh, next review i believe is going up tomorrow which focuses on the uh Cynthia Rothrock, Bolo Young, martial arts, epic tiger claws. So uh, yeah, you can find all sorts of good stuff in my reviews, and you can follow me personally at Zach Malibu.
0: Awesome! Uh, thank you guys all for dropping in and talking about 1988, and I will talk to you all again next year for 1989. 1988, greatest year ever. Okay, maybe not really the greatest year ever i actually had uh, some difficulty figuring out what i was going to talk about but that's okay because we had a great time of course talking to beth and sean and chris as we always do what i'm doing right now is recording the outro before i'm even really done with the episode because i have to sit here and wait for the levelator to finish doing its thing Because what I didn't realize is my stupid headphones had reset to 79 instead of 100 on the volume level. So throughout the whole conversation, you get me talking like this. And then Chris jumps in and sounds like this. Uh, So I I had to go in the Levelator, and I'm waiting for that thing to process, which takes forever. But thank goodness for it, because it works. And thanks uh, to Mike Faber, uh, our pal over at ESO, for telling me about Levelator. Because I wouldn't have known anything about it otherwise. Uh, please go check out Nerdy Laser. You know how to use Google. You can find it. Uh, Rich is awesome. I love talking to him. We had a fun time. Uh, go to needlessthingspodcast.com, click on the Amazon link, and check out our articles that get posted. Uh, I- I'm going to have to say we're we're up to an every once in a while schedule, but that's okay because I love doing the podcast, even if writing is not necessarily my favorite thing to do anymore it's not even that it's just the time man Uh, having time to sit down and write what what else do i have to say it's been like 10 years it's been 10 years uh i I just I'm, i'm out of words about things hey this action figure looks like it's supposed to look and it has elbows five out of five bam really is that that's that's all i can do now oh it's another movie with effects and stuff and i enjoyed it it was cool i'll probably buy it on blu-ray i don't know i love you guys thank you for listening to the needless things podcast you're the best you can find the show on itunes stitcher downcast or in the ears of a
3: trader vix employee love you mean it uh uh-huh